Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Local Europe Edition podcast, recorded on Thursday the 5th of October 2017 in Stockholm, Sweden. Every week we're going to delve into the most important, interesting and downright bizarre news from across Europe. I'm James Savage, founder of The Local, and joining me is Emma Lufgren, editor of The Local Sweden. Emma, how excited are you about this podcast? Well, I want to say I'm very excited, but I'm actually also a bit nervous because I'm someone who likes to prepare for things. But uh, this week is Nobel Prize week in Stockholm, which was one of the busiest year uh, weeks in Sweden. So uh, I haven't really done a lot of preparation for this, which I probably shouldn't admit to you since you're technically my boss. Technically, I like that. It's all right. We're going to wing this. Uh, it's going to be great. We're going to speak to our colleagues from across Europe who know lots of interesting things about lots of interesting subjects. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, the local is a veritable empire stretching from Madrid uh, to Stockholm. And while we might spend our own days in our little cosmopolitan elite bubbles, we thought it might be time to stretch out and link up across the continent to other people's cosmopolitan elite bubbles. Not that we think that we're a cosmopolitan elite, really. Right? I think you're probably more cosmopolitan and more elite than I am. <laughs> Rubbish. You're so cosmopolitan. Emma is Swedish, used to work in Scotland, uh, has an Italian boyfriend. I mean, you're, you're, you're super cosmopolitan. <laughs> well, we'll see about that. Anyway, I'm a Swede writing in English. And later in this episode, we're going to talk some, some, about something related to that, aren't we? We are indeed. So uh, later we'll be talking about how English is taking over cities like Berlin and Stockholm and Paris, indeed. And we'll also be talking about what the future might hold for Spain after Catalonia's controversial independence referendum. We'll be talking to the editor of the local Spain, Fiona Govan, about that. But first up, we're going to stay right here in Stockholm to talk about the Nobel Prizes, something that you, Emma, have actually been spending quite a lot of time working on this week. It's going to be very exciting. I think it is. And we're specifically going to talk about the Nobel Prize in Literature, the winner of which was announced a few hours before we recorded this podcast. So, Emma, it was? Uh, it was uh, Kazuo Ishiguro, who's a Jap uh, an author born in Japan who lives in Britain. He's lived there since he was five years old, so he's mostly considered a British author. 
Um, and uh, he's one of the few Nobel Prize winning authors I've ever heard of, which is great. And, you know, I heard his name as well. Um, but I think even a lot of re- a lot of listeners who haven't heard his uh, name might be familiar with some of his work, right? Uh, absolutely. He's, uh, he's written a lot of different novels. Uh, some of his most famous ones are The Remains of the Day and uh, Never Let Me Go. And uh, if you don't enjoy reading novels so much, you may still have heard these because both of these have actually been turned into movies as well. The Remains of the Day was a very famous uh, movie with uh, Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson about this uh, unconsummated love story between a butler and his and the housekeeper in uh, the 1930s Britain. And Never Let Me Go was... Uh, Star, starred uh, Kira Knightley and Kerry Mulligan, so big names and a big movie. But it's another popular choice, right? I mean, last year Bob Dylan won it, and this year uh, it was won by a by someone whose uh, books have been made into feature films. I mean, this is kind of unusual for for the, for the Nobel Prize in Literature. It is a bit unusual. I mean, a lot of the time it's it's people that you've maybe never heard of people that maybe you've heard their name mentioned but you're not quite sure what it is they do uh some are saying that perhaps this year they were trying to pick someone who everybody likes because of the whole controversy surrounding bob dylan's win last year when at first it took him weeks to respond to to his uh, to his nobel prize win and then never showed up to the banquet in december either which is a big no-no in sweden so this year a high quality big name so everyone's everyone everyone's happy with this uncontroversial uh, i think so i mean for the most part what i've seen everybody seems happy about it and he's uh, he's certainly one of my favorite authors so i'm happy you've been covering the nobel prize uh, in stockholm for quite a few years um and you've been to the uh, announcement of the of the winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature um, before. You were there last year. Um, what's it like? Uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a strange experience. So you go to this uh, big building in Stockholm's old town that's uh, used to be the Stockholm Stock Exchange back in the eighteenth century. And nowadays it uh, is home to the Nobel Museum and to and is also the Swedish Academy's headquarters. And the Swedish Academy are the ones that that selects the winner of the of the Nobel Prize in Literature. And you go up into this big building and there's uh, go into this room that's this really old fancy looking room, big chandeliers, very impressive. And uh, it quickly fills up with uh, journalists, uh, members of the public as well sometimes, and a lot of international journalists, and everybody's scrambling to get a, get a good spot in front of the door. And the door is the one where the head of the Swedish Academy, the permanent secretary, comes out through at 1pm, and it's always 1pm on the dot, to announce the winner. So last year when they said Bob Dylan, there was a big through the room. (laughs) Whereas this year there was a bunch of uh, Japanese journalists next to my colleague who all cheered when they heard that Kazuo Ishiguro had won. 
I'm always impressed by the reactions in the room because often it'll be someone who, for the and, and for, for 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 someone who who's not a big literature buff, is completely unknown. But in the room, they'll announce the name of a Mongolian haiku writer, and the room will erupt into cheers as, because everybody in the room knows who everybody is. Yes, and uh, all the journalists will suddenly forget that they're supposed to say neutral, and all will just go either yes or ah, oh, not again. Well, as always with the Nobel Prize, it's a good reminder to pick up a new book. But now we're going to shift our focus from Stockholm to Spain and to some slightly more serious matters. Last Sunday, Catalonia went to the polls to vote on whether to become an independent state. Footage of Spanish police trying to prevent voting drew condemnation from abroad, but might have helped in part to keep referendum participation down to below 43%. The Spanish government refuses to recognise the referendum result, which voted overwhelmingly for independence, but was declared illegal by the country's Supreme Court. We spoke to the local Spain's editor, Fiona Govan, on Thursday to get her take on events and ask how this might play out. I started by asking her whether there was support for the government's hard line in the rest of Spain. Well, the first thing that you notice in Madrid is that there's suddenly a lot of Spanish flags being hung from balconies and displayed on cars. And although you see in Catalonia for the last few months and years, especially rising up to Sunday's vote, a lot of the Catalan independence flag, it's it's not really a symbol that is overtly prevalent in the capital but now you see all these Spanish flags hanging kind of as a sort of rebuttal of what's been going on in Catalonia so it's just visually without even having to speak to anyone very obvious that lots of people feel incredibly angry about what's going on in Catalonia um, just about their their bids to break away from Spain but you're also hearing when you speak to people that it's not so black and white there are a lot of people are also furious, upset, disturbed about the scenes that we were seeing on Sunday at the polling stations um, of these police basically acting against peaceful people attempting to vote. Now, the rest of Spain very clearly believes that Catalonia does not have a right to vote in an illegal referendum, but they don't want to see police forces out there beating people up, and they don't like to see that image being portrayed around the rest of the world of a sort of brutal Spain the likes of which were seen during the dictatorship of Franco, which ended more than 40 years ago. Okay, so from what I understand of Catalonia, they're quite divided there on the issue of independence. So what's the feeling there right now among anti-independence Catalans? Well, this is one of the saddest things about the, about what's going on in the region right now, is that we obviously have a very strong um, outward show by the independistas, by the separatists, you know, we've seen huge demonstrations. We see Esteladas everywhere. Um, we've had a general strike. Um, and we can see the what appears to be an overwhelming desire to vote for independence. But there is a silence, well, not silent, but much more quiet um, group of Catalans who might well be more than half of the people who live there who don't want Catalonia to separate from Spain. But more and more, as things have been developing, and as we've seen the sort of um, repression uh, of this vote, people want uh, want the right to vote. They want they want to feel that they have 
a say whether even if that is to actually turn out and vote for something which would be to stay with Spain. So even if they don't want independence, they still want to be heard. And so far, by trying to stage a vote that isn't legally recognised, people who don't want independence, they don't, they're not going to go to polls because if they don't recognise the vote, they're not going to go to an illegal vote and vote for something that they don't think should happen. So what we're seeing in the results is a very skewed version of Catalonia, very those people who went out and braved the polls and voted are by far the majority of people who, are, who want independence and not a true representation of what people want there. Um, we've, we've seen some demos in the streets against independence, but those tend to be dominated by this very small group of sort of really right-wing kind of neo-fascists, some of them carrying the, the flag, the old pre-democratic pre Spanish flag of the Franco years, some of them doing sort of fascist salutes in the street. And this gives a very skewed um, skewed view from, from the capital, but from the capital of Catalonia, Barcelona. So what we're going to see on Sunday is a demonstration called by those people who haven't really been able to express themselves and go out and say, we don't want independence, but we are still Catalans. We do feel Catalan. We are very proud of being Catalan, but we also want to remain a part of Spain. We're also Spanish. What about the king's intervention in all of this? He came out very strongly on the government side, effectively, didn't he? he there, 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 there wasn't much of talk of unity. It was unity on the government's um, on, on the government's basis. I mean, do you what, what's your what, what's your reaction to that? Well, it's been received very, very badly in Catalonia. I mean, most people think that the king had a really good opportunity there to kind of show himself as a statesman, to show, to call for the unification of Spain, to kind of highlight that he sees Catalans as being Spanish and um, to kind of smooth the waters. But what happened was he basically came out and said that what's going on in Catalonia is disloyalty to the crown, to the state, to the nation. And he's very much placed himself on the side of the government, um, which many people feel that the monarchy is not there to get involved in politics. It's yeah. there to really act in the good of the entire country. Um, but clearly, he's he has to protect the constitution. He has to stand up for the unity of Spain because that is he's the, the head of state of a unified Spain. And any alternative would see a breakup of his kingdom. What do you think happens next then? I mean, on Monday, uh, the Catalan government has said it will declare independence. How would that play out? It's very difficult to tell. I mean, since the vote happened on Sunday with those disastrous scenes, there has been no talk of dialogue at all from the central government. They're still maintaining this hard line. So it sort of puts Catalonia in a position and the leaders, the separatist leaders of Catalonia, very much, um, they're, they're appearing to say, we want dialogue, we want to talk about this, um, we want international um, negotiators, we want observers, we want people to come and intervene and, and try and sort of mediate between us as we as we go forward but that just, that's not just not going to happen right now and so if they do make this extraordinary move of declaring independence or at least stating that they will and then call, calling a sort of um, transition period while they're discussed exactly what terms independence will take 
um, Madrid is, is really left in a position where it has to come down hard. And that could see, see the evoking of 155, which is something that is talked about a lot in, um, in Spain at the moment. And this basically means that they can take over the administration of the region of Catalonia. If, if Madrid decides to take over that administration, they will basically suspend parliament, they will send in administrators, they will take over all of the uh, local administration. And then we're in a, we're in a very difficult um, period, which is, um, those, those circumstances, no one knows where that can go. Catalonia has sort of indicated, the, the leaders have indicated that they do want to step back. They do, they, if, if there is some kind of dialogue, if Madrid somehow agreed to have a, allow a legitimate referendum, it might at least delay this declaration of independence, um, which, you know, so many people realise that this, this illegal referendum doesn't have there's so many, it falls short of the democratic process in so many ways because of the way it was held, but it doesn't really give um, that local, that regional government the right to just have a unilateral declaration of independence. It's going to cause so many problems in so many ways. Fiona, uh, really interesting to talk about this. I'm sure we'll be talking about it a lot more for weeks and months and years to come. But um, for now, thank you very much. Berlin is being taken over by English-speaking elitist hipsters. That's according to German Christian Democrat Jens Spahn, who says a parallel society is being created, divorced from the rest of Germany. We spoke to Jörg Lucan, the editor of our Germany edition, who's based in Berlin. I started off by asking him if English really was as widespread in Berlin as Jens Spahn claims. I can tell you that from the neighbourhood of Berlin I live in, there's certainly a lot of people. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
who get by without speaking German, who it seems like they don't speak the language. I think it's probably extremer in Berlin, certainly than any other city in Germany. Um, and probably, I imagine, than anywhere in Europe outside of the British Isles. How do uh, Germans react to this? I mean, is, is this something that native Germans find off-putting? Um, I mean, I've had different reactions. I was talking to somebody recently who, who uh, was saying that she felt like Germans scowl at her all the time when she speaks English and that she feels really uncomfortable speaking it in public. It's clear you can get by in Berlin without German. In fact, in some places, you you need more English more than German because waiters, for instance, don't speak German at all in, in some restaurants in some parts of town. And if you try and speak German with them, they'll just look blankly at you and then you need to switch into English. I'm sorry, but I find, I find myself as a non uh, as as a as a as a non-german and you know as someone who lives in stockholm who's a non-swede but i find myself getting a little bit a little bit cross about this i mean it's like you this is this is sweden that is germany those are the languages and if you're a native speaker and you can't order a drink or a or a meal in your own language i i think that's doesn't doesn't it get people's goats. It would get, I mean, it might get mine. Emma, you're a native Swede. Okay, let's, you can be our guinea picker. You're a native Swede. You live in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. When you're confronted with this kind of uh, pure English speaking, does it, does it, does it bother? Does it, does it sort of set off something in your head, your indignation? You mean people who insist on speaking English? People right? who insist on speaking English without, um, in, in a sort of Swedish speaking environment. Uh well, uh, I mean, I first of all, I'm I'm a Swede writing about Sweden's news in English, as we've established. So I shouldn't throw stones in glass houses, but I'm going to do that anyway. Um, so it does annoy me a little bit sometimes. I mean, my um, my partner is uh, is not Swedish; he's Italian, and but he speaks Swedish. And sometimes when we go to restaurants, for example, we will walk in, uh, introduce ourselves in Swedish and order our meal in Swedish and all of that. And we speak English to each other. And at some point during the course of the meal, the waiter always picks up on that and then just changes the language and then just insists on speaking to us in English the whole time. Even to me, which is a bit strange because I'm, I'm a native Swede, they're a native Swede, and here we are talking our second language. If you look at what uh, Jens Spahn was saying in, in, in Germany, I think one of his issues was that by having a sort of an English-speaking capital city um, that was set itself apart from the rest of Germany, uh, it created these, these sorts of social tensions between a sort of an elite in the capital city uh, where everyone was sort of speaking English to each other and... Um, and people in the rest of Germany, and particularly at a time when you've got populist parties, uh, anti-elite parties growing up. I mean, that was sort of what he was, uh, that was a sort of the, the, the theme he was going for there, right, Jörg? I, yeah, I mean, Jens Spahn is, you know, even for, for the CDU, he's, he's one of the most conservative figureheads of the CDU. And um, maybe I don't like to agree with the guy, but I think he has... He's got a point because, and I actually think it's a kind of serious subject. So, you know, I, I spend some of my time with uh, English-speaking friends and some of my time with German-speaking friends. And 
I think when I'm when I'm about town speaking German on the street. So I had an incident um, a couple of weeks ago. I was drinking coffee with my girlfriend, and we were speaking German to each other. And this this woman came up to us, and she was quite upset, and she was talking about how um, and uh, another woman had had hit her, and um, nobody in, on the street had tr had spoken out about it. And she was saying that this woman was a Nazi, and and she was she was she was clearly upset and. I think you know she'd heard us speaking German, and she came up to approach us with with the, with this thing, and it kind of it was kind of this very like little window into something that had gone on on the street that that day that said something about what's happening in German society, and that I don't think that would have happened if we'd been speaking English to each other, and I do think when I speak German on the street, when I'm with German friends those little things happen more and you kind of understand the society you're living in more. And I do think that there's a problem with Berlin that it is a very um, divided city in terms of if you speak the, if you speak German or not. And I mean, they are kind of also, you know, there's, where I live, there's lots of uh, a Turkish community and Arabic community and the, people tend to stay within their own languages there's a danger with all of this that you end up criticizing people who who have moved to a new place and managing and managing perhaps even in their second language english might not even be their first language managing their second language getting their foot on the ladder and i think that's an i think english is an incredibly important tool for getting your foot on the ladder while you're learning the local language and you, you and, and sometimes you need that you need that time to get your head around the local language um but in the end, you you really do need to you do need to work on your local language if you're going to understand uh, the the society and the culture that, that that you're living in. Otherwise, you're always going to be a bit of an outsider, and you're going to create it's going to create this kind of two tier um, society. And if you're speaking English, it's going to you're going to be on the upper tier, which might be nice for you, but it's maybe not great. It's maybe not great for society. Yeah, and I think there is something just to take it back to Jens Spahn because he also made this claim that Germans, uh, sort of well-educated Germans, like speak, speaking English to each other when it's not necessary. Um, I, I can only speak from my experience, but I've never really seen that. And I don't think most, I just don't think that if that happens, it's, you know, a couple of very pretentious people in maybe, you know, some elite circles in, in, in Mitte or wherever you know, Span, Span hangs out. Like if Germans are drinking with other Germans, they speak German because that's the language they can express themselves in. And I don't think that, I think he's overblown the issue, obviously in the run up to the elections, he was doing that to, you know, play this populist card. Um, so you know, he's blown it, he's definitely blown it up into some a bigger problem than it is. but. I think, you know, he he wasn't wrong in addressing this issue either. And that was Jörg Lucan, editor of The Local Germany, finishing off there. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on Acast or through the iTunes store. If you like it, we'd be incredibly grateful if you could take a moment to rate it, which will help more people to find this podcast. We'll be back with more next week. Meanwhile, check out our sites at thelocal.com. F-R-D-E-S-E and the rest. You can also find us on Twitter at The Local Europe or on Facebook, The Local. But until then, it's uh, bye-bye from me, James Savage.
And it's bye from me, Emma Lovegren. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.